said, we have one more class on this. Uh, well, we have two. But this is where we hit our, uh, our last bit of heavy scripture. Next week, I want to deal with the questions that you've got. And we'll do our best to cover them. Um, I know that you guys have had a couple, and I keep forgetting what they are when we come up to the next. So if you could help write those down. Uh, I was asked today, you know, all right, we're supposed to love, 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 but how do we fight back against the slaughter of the children that's going on right now? You know, where, do, where are the lines drawn? Let's talk about that next week. For right now, remember that um, the scripture says, when we pray, we change things. We stopped last week. Our last couple examples were the plague upon Israel. Then we looked at Second uh, Chronicles chapter 12, where God said he was going to allow Shishak to conquer Israel. But since they repented, he changed his mind. And then in Amos chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, two times he tells of a judgment, God tells of a judgment he's going to bring on Israel. In those six verses, both times, Amos intercedes and God relents. So either God was playing with Amos or prayer has power. I believe that prayer has power. I believe, putting succinctly, that holy lives have real power to change the world. That we can affect the course of the universe by the way we believe and what we say and what we do. Prayer has real power. Now that prayer, Albert would teach this class in a different way. And he might teach it right. All right, so let's be very honest about it. Nobody in the room knows more about prayer than Albert. Fair enough? When I pray, I've already confessed that I find myself slipping into 90% of my prayer basically boiling down to, could I have a really nice day? But when I back off and really pray, it isn't even about the immediate. It's about in time. Would you fix this? In time. And it might not be in my time. It, I might be long gone. I might never see what I'm praying for. I, I pray a lot more for peace on earth now that I have small grandchildren than I did before because I'm aware that I can't really do anything to change their world. Not at this stage. One thing I determined to do, Cammie and I determined to do years ago, was to leave our children a better church than the one we had. And I, I know how arrogant that sounds. But the point was to bring a church to teach about love and freedom and unity in Christ and to, to drop the legalism. And we've, we've taken all kinds of hits for it, but we think we've moved the ball a bit further down the field. We've, given them, we've left them a better place than we inherited. But they're going to have to take it somewhere else. We're aware of this. Prayer changes things. When we gather in and make an agreement with God, but like we're seeing in all these wee books in the, in the Old Testament, there might be destruction before God answers the prayer. There might be kingdoms fall and rising before God answers the prayer. But when we pray, God enters in and makes it stronger. I love the passage in Ecclesiastes about if one falls into a ditch and if he's on his own, but if someone's with him, he'll pull him out. And then when two enter into an agreement, and then suddenly it says a three 
strand cord is not easily broken. To make an agreement, somebody else enters in. This last week, a week ago yesterday, I did a wedding for Alicia Whitehouse and her, uh, her fiance at that time, Robert Dale Bell, and enjoyed it very much. I believe that when they said, I do, that God entered into an agreement, that something spiritual occurred in the heavenlies at that stage. Our prayer becomes stronger when we agree with God and he with us. Yeah, we face real pervasive evil on a cosmic scale, but we're not defenseless. Um, I have problems with a lot of things people say. When everything that goes wrong in your life is caused by the devil, you've got a problem. Because I don't think it is. I think sometimes tires go flat because you're, you've had a puncture. You've run over something. Yeah, I think sometimes roofs leak because you, the roof, there was an ice on it. There's an ice darn. I don't say ice dam because I'm Christian. I, I believe that we need to be aware that something, we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I've seen a bumper sticker that said, lead me not into temptation. I can find it by myself. That's usually true, isn't it? The devil doesn't usually have to encourage me to sin. I'm, 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 I find all kinds of opportunities. We need to be aware we're not victims to some invisible carved in stone will of God or will of Satan. Saw on social media yesterday, and I know the person that put it up. They're not, you don't know them. Uh, and I know her heart, and I know it gives her comfort. I don't know what was going on in her life, but she wrote, everything happens for a reason, and it's all part of God's plan. That's all she wrote. And I'm thinking, now, what happens if instead of getting a grandbaby like we did this week that was healthy and fine, you're, you miscarried this week? How would you read this? Believe it or not, some people, I think the teens are having more fun than we are. They, um, for some people, it gives them comfort because they don't like death being arbitrary. They just don't like it. They don't like the, you know, I tripped and fell and broke my leg. Uh, God must have had a plan and all this. That gives them more comfort than the fact that random in the universe, people trip and fall and break their legs. They don't like that. They don't like random. Have, have you ever wished anybody good luck and they turn to you and, and, no, we don't believe in luck? Have you ever had that happen? There's, there's luck. It's, um, you know, when that sperm outraced the other sperm, hit the egg, uh, maybe God sped that one up. Maybe not. I've seen some people, and I've thought, wow, and that was the fastest sperm. <laughs> not meaning to be unkind, just noticing. I'm observing, not judging. There's a big difference. There are, I'm sure people have looked at me and said the same thing. I taught my kids long ago, God made a lot of idiots. We're not going to run out, and everybody takes a turn including us. We're not victims to a God that can take our children, crush our nations, wash away our cities, make our jobs vanish because of some grand plan. By the way, 
Can God do that? Absolutely. But does he say in the, in the Bible that he does? Almost never. There are times, he says, because of judgment, I've got to do this. Now that's where I'm afraid for this nation. Because we're at a point where we're either going to have to confess what's going on and deal with it, or we have no excuse when that comes. Um, we have power in prayer, but not solo prayer. It's community prayer. Never noticed in the, in the New Testament, every book in the New Testament was written to community except for one, and that's Philemon. And that was written to the slave owner to tell him to become in community with his slave and treat him as brother. Every other one was written to community. My wife uh, said this last week, I hope you have a great day. And I said, that's unlikely. And she said, why? And I said, because it's people out there. And she laughed because she knew what I meant. You know, they're people. I've had a couple of you come up and ask me about this, so I'm just going to say it. They'll say, you say you're a loner and an introvert, but when you come in, whenever I see you, you're walking around saying hi to people, you're touching people. Yeah, you know why? Jesus. That's not my, na my nature, is to uh, you know, sit in a closet, caress a firearm, and hope you don't know where I am. <laughs> I'm not allowed to live by my nature. Because of Jesus, you got to do stuff. And so God did not, he, yes, am I an introvert? Yes. Did God have something to do with my wiring? Perhaps. Can God use my wiring? Absolutely. But only if I enter in community. And so I have to enter into community. We have a part to play. Our faithfulness and the way we treat our wives and our families matter. Think of Eli. The way he raised his sons mattered, didn't it? In a couple of weeks, we're going to hit Malachi. Malachi has a weird expression in it that we don't get because we don't speak Hebrew. Why would God go away for 400 years? I mean, he didn't really go away. Right, fair enough. Why didn't he send prophets or try to reach them for 400 years? One of the main reasons he tells him he's divorcing him? Because you cover yourself with violence like a cloak. And we read that and we think, well, because they became real violent. Yes and no. It's a Hebrew expression. It really means they were beating their wives. Uh, and we don't get it because we don't, we don't use those same expressions. And God says, That's it. I'm, I'm done with you. The way we behave makes God decide whether he's going to join with us or not. And don't you think that makes a big difference? God didn't tell them to beat their wives. They did. And that changed the trajectory of the nation. God gives us a say-so in the way the universe runs. I love that. Absolutely. When I was a boy, I heard the preachers say so many times, you can't bargain with God. And then I read the Bible. That's all the Old Testament prophets did. All right, God, I hear you say, got another idea. <laughs> Let's try it this way. And the number of times God goes, okay, is amazing. We no longer pray prayers full of escape hatches for God. Do you know what I mean by that? 
I'll give you an example. Now, I'm the world's worst prayer, so I'm not insulting your prayers. I'm just mentioning. There are some things about prayers that drive me nuts. And that's not so much of a drive as a leisurely stroll around the corner, but still. I don't, we don't have to say in Jesus' name at the end of a, of a prayer. Praying in Jesus' name doesn't mean that you say that at the end. It means that you're praying by his authority and that you keep in mind what he wants done. I can't pray in Jesus' name that a couple of you burst into flame. Can't do it. By his authority, I can pray. But if you're going to say in Jesus' name at the end, would you please say his name and not say it like you're just signing off real fast his name in? No, it's his name. Say his name. Say it clearly. Speak to him. That's one. But the escape hatches. Lord, be with this person who's sick. Why? They're already baptized. Didn't he already promise he'd be with them? So what are you wanting? Well, I'd like for them to be. Return them to a measure of health. Pfft. What does that mean? That means whatever happens, we can let God off the hook. Because, well, they had a measure of health. Measure right now is nil. Um, did not live up to their life potential. Um, what do you want? You want them healed? Tell God. Heal them. That's what I want. You told me to ask you what I want. I want them healed. I want them to be healed, so healed, that it amazes the doctors. That's what I want. Now, will you always get it? No, but let's be honest. More of our prayers are answered than not. We just tend to remember the ones that weren't. Do not come up to me later and say, he answered that, he just said no. That's, a, that's an escape hatch. Stop it. Instead... Understand that God sometimes will not heal people because to do so would be cruel to them. They've been mangled in an accident to the point you want them to stay alive, and he's saying that's not the nicest thing that can happen to them. That's not kind. You ever thought about that? But then we'll say, all right, Lord, be with the doctors. Why be with them? They're driving there in better cars than we are. They seem to be doing all right. They're not sick. That's something that drives my wife crazy. She'll say, Patrick, you need to go see the doctor. And I'll say, why? Is he sick? And then you'll whack. And I'll, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. She doesn't whack me. She just kind of waves a clock around. That kind of gets my attention. Don't pray. Tell God what you want. Lord, stop the abortion industry. Use me to do it in a way that pleases Jesus, not a way that pleases Satan by spreading more violence. Lord, help me live in such a way that people want to be more like Jesus and less like that. Help me show a, a, a creative way to, to reach them. Whatever it is, enter in with them and don't give, don't give escape hatches and take responsibility as well. Why do we have the government we have now? Because we voted for it. Again and again and again and again. Or we stayed home and didn't vote. Or we paid attention to everything but the realities of what is going on. Sadly, many of our people can tell you a whole lot more about what music is popular than who stands for what. And they get a vote too. That's your system. Should have stayed with us. That's what I'm saying. No, no, if you ever look at our country, it's worse. Take responsibility. 
that it's because of us that there, is, that there are drunk drivers. As I've said before, we always say drink, drinking and driving stupid, but we let bars have parking lots and we let stores sell cold alcohol. Hmm. So you can enjoy a few on the way home, like you do French fries from McDonald's. Economic slavery, porn, whatever, we've got to acknowledge our lack of activity in helping the poor and reaching out. Our lack of faithfulness, our lack of faith. So we keep more than we give. We don't hand over much of our life to Jesus. I'm not trying to be really guilt-inducing here. I'm just trying to be real, okay? The fact is, my wife and I give more than a tithe, but that means that we still keep the vast majority of stuff God gives us. And that we, we recognize that and say, maybe we could find a way to use this in a different way. And we're still learners. I mean, it's amazing. We still have um, what you call them, the, the, the wee wheels, that come, training wheels that come off of a bike. I feel like we're still wearing those after our baptism. We should be saying, you know something? There's work to be done. And instead of worrying about this, and instead of saying, I've got to have this, and I've got to go see this, maybe we could feed some people in Franktown or Hard Bargain. Maybe we could paint a porch. Maybe we could change the world by training the next generation how to work, what money means, what God means, how to live your life so that it matters, that sort of thing. We could train them for this rather than just sitting back and saying, well, I wish the world was better. God wants us to partner with him, but if we won't get out of our chairs, we can't dance with him. So in this model, this open theology model of God works with us and we with him and the future has not been determined ahead of time, we, um, we diffuse the atheist argument that God created Hitler and if he knows all things, couldn't if he has stopped Hitler? That's one of the moral questions they'll give you in an ethics class. If you were in circa 1900, 1889, uh, Austria, uh, and you knew where the baby Hitler was, would you kill the baby to save the world? A lot of you are going to wrestle with that the rest of the week. The answer is no. No. What you do is if you're available, uh, take Hitler under your wing, take little Adolf, 80, whatever you want to call him, under your wing, teach him love, teach him grace, show him nice things and help him learn to be, to play nice with his Jewish friends. That's what you do. And so I always, I always say, no, that's the wrong question. No, I don't kill him. I hold him. I don't know what wrong, went wrong in his head, but it's not going to be me. I'm going to find a way to, to give him a chance at least. God didn't know for a certainty that Hitler was going to turn out as he did. That was Hitler's choice. And he turned out that way due to the actions of men, not of God. If you take a look at the history of what went on in his life and the way he was directed. Philip Yancey tells a story of a young girl named Suzanne. She had a passion for the Lord and for the island of Formosa, today known as Taiwan. Just passion for Jesus and for those people. And she found a man as she was going through Bible college with the same passions. These were not faked passions. He was sincere 
about the Lord and about Taiwan. They courted for over three years chastely, not engaging in sexual behavior or borderline behavior. They were chaste. After he proposes, they fasted. They fasted and prayed about what the will of God would be. They asked their friends and pastor to do the same with them. They went through months of prayer time. And all of them, the friends, the pastor, the families, all agree this is the right move. This is a God thing. After the marriage, the husband gets into one affair after another. He eventually fractures her cheekbone and divorces her when she's pregnant. She came to Philip Yancey and said, how can God, what kind of God would respond to my prayers by setting me up with a man that would do this to me and my child? Her friends suggested she just hadn't heard the voice of God's pro God properly. It's your fault. You just assumed too much. You ever had that said to you? No, well, obviously that wasn't the voice of God. I've gone places to work. This is not one of them. We're quite happy. Twice in my life, we've moved places under false pretenses. We thought we'd investigated everything. We thought we'd checked out everything and got there and went, uh-oh, this is not right. And we have just made a mistake. I think that's not God's fault. I don't think that I didn't hear the voice of God properly. I think he wanted to give it a try. In one of those places, we profoundly changed the church we went to. In the other one, we just left because we knew we couldn't. After about a year, we said, you know, we give up. This, this thing's not going to move. It's going to destroy us and our kids. If you always respond to when things go bad, well, I must not have heard the voice of God right. How can you ever trust that you've heard the voice of God? right? Some actually suggested to her that God knew all of this would happen, but led her into marriage anyway so that she would be humbled and punished for some sin. Seriously? Have you ever read the book of Job? God doesn't like that answer. He doesn't appreciate it when you give that answer to people. It makes God a bad teacher because it doesn't teach anything but to be better. If you've got a dog and it does something wrong and you beat it, you're not teaching the dog not to do that. After the first hit, the dog learns nothing except to be afraid of you. That's it. And so you're being a bad teacher. God, is he a bad teacher? I don't think so. So what would you say to Suzanne? This is what Philip Yancey said. I'm not quoting. I'm just telling a long conversation. He said, God regrets leading you into that marriage as much as he regretted making Saul king. Like Saul, it was a good decision at the time. However, like Suzanne's husband, Saul was free to choose right or wrong. And Saul chose to do wrong and became a very different person. Your husband was free and he made the wrong choices. The devil didn't make him do it. God didn't make him do it. He chose. Yeah, Taiwan was now gone from her heart and her possibilities. She never would go work there. But however, as long as there's a God, there's plan B, C, D, E. There's always another plan. There's a fallback. You know, 
like with Moses. When I was 40 and fit, I tried and it failed. And God goes, well, you're 80 now. Let's try. Moses says, oh, I've got to stick. God says, let's use it. And even that didn't go well at first. Do you remember? Because he said, throw the stick down to show him the power. He threw it down and became a snake. Moses ran. An 80-year-old guy ran. That would have been interesting. And then God has to say, come back and pick it up. <laughs> I find that hilarious. I know nobody else does, but I read the story of Moses and, and my stomach hurts. It laughs so much. You know, let's, let's defeat Egypt. Here's an old guy with a stick. That'll do it. You know that can't have been plan A. But God, he can do it. He, you know, plan A can never be frogs out of the sky. That's just a rule of thumb. But God can make it work. He will find a place for us. And it's still a place on the battlefield. And bad things can happen. But God didn't plan it, will it, or here's where people get upset. Even though it was going to happen. Because he leaves us open to make that future. His promise is he'll be with us. I do not want you to raise your hands. I would, you're in the Church of Christ. What are the odds of that anyway? I do not want you to look at each other or throw an elbow. But I want you to think. When you got married, as you're saying the I do's better or worse, if you could have suddenly known whatever that worse was, and then see them as they would look old, would you have stuttered and hesitated a bit? This is where my wife always throws her hand in the air and goes, yes! And so I'm, she's upstairs. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Why, Lord? Anyway, um, we have a whole wailing wall in the house. The, um, she keeps looking at the light, marriage certificate, looking for the expiration date um point i'm trying to make is if you'd known would you have still done it for most of us we get around to yes but some of you would have to say no because there were some bad things happened and that marriage fell apart right and you married again or you didn't I'm glad I don't know the future. You know, I, I, I'm glad. I trust God with the future. And I also believe that there, it isn't there yet. We get to decide a lot of it. So, and by the way, those people that say, if I had my life to live over again, wouldn't change a thing. I'm thinking, wow, what a slow learner. <laughs> Seriously, wouldn't you change some things? Absolutely. I told Cammie, I wouldn't have dated all those other girls. I would have saved all that money and just waited for Cammie. You know, um, all those other girls. <sighs> anyway, um, one more thing. This view of God, this open view of God, works with our understanding of reality now, the quantum reality. The Platonic view of reality, Aristotelian view of reality, was that time and reality are a set piece, and they are not. And I don't want to upset anybody here or talk over your heads. Just be aware that the quantum reality we're finding is not just for the very big and the very little. Even photosynthesis, we have just determined in the last six months studying it, 
has quantum affects to it. Go look it up. I won't explain all of it here, even though I'd really like to. Our new understanding is that the reality is an unlimited set of possibilities. The, the, you can go on YouTube and look for the double slit experiment, quantum physics, if you want to. That's the basic. We're firing a single electron. We find it goes through two different holes at the same time. It, becomes, it goes from ray to particle and back again, according to when you fire it and where. In other words, it's in two places at the same time. And it is in two states at the same time. Not like Kentucky, Ohio, but different states of matter, existence. And we look at that and we go, that's impossible. It happens all the time. I believe that the presence of righteousness can save a city. I believe it can save a universe. So that answers the atheist question when they try to lure us into, can God do anything? Oh, if you say yes, they've got you. Can he make a rock so big he can't lift it? And you start going, well, uh, um, can God make a married bachelor? Can God make a round triangle? Then they got you. We know the answer. God has limited himself to reality and to righteousness. And he's never said he can do anything. In fact, he says he cannot lie. In fact, he says he cannot mislead us. He has created a reality and he, work, he chooses to work within that reality and with us as a partnership. So what are we going to do with it? So here's what we're going to do. We're, we've got to close here in about two minutes. Um, here's what we're going to do next week. We're going to do some quick... If you don't bring enough questions, we're just going to do quick reviews. There is a book by Gregory Boyd called God of the Possible where he deals with questions and objections to this. And I will, I'll just grab a few of those at random and uh, go through those. If you bring questions, we'll do that. I don't want to take away your comfort. Those of you that believe everything that's happened to you has happened for a reason, all I can do is tell you that's not what Scripture says. Instead, God, God tells us through Scripture, he and you can work with whatever happens. That's a big difference. Um, do I believe that God is active in the universe? Absolutely. I think God keeps most Christians from ever winning the lottery. There's a reason why, in my mind, why he would do that. Not because you're not supposed to be gambling. <laughs> Every time I preach, that's a gamble. It's <laughs> not it. No. Um... I think it's because if one of us was a billionaire, every time there was an issue, we'd run to them. Could you fix the air conditioning? Could you take care of Franktown? Could you? Since none of us are rich in American terms, we all have to sacrifice as a community to get anything done. I think that's what he wants. He doesn't want it to be easy. He wants it to be community. But that's my guess. I might get up to heaven and he'll say, seriously? Oh, but that's my guess. Uh, I've never won the lottery. Evidently, you have to play it to win it. And it looks complicated. Yeah, I, I'll be behind somebody in the store and they're going, you know, 
sizzle this and double that and look and bring in the monkey. I don't know. It's, it's, very, it's very complicated. But I really believe that's, that's why he does it. I believe that he wants us to trust him to wake up in the morning and say, what do you want to do today? Let's do this. And I want to lift a burden off of some of you. Those of you that think horrible things have happened to you because it's part of God's plan, no, God loves you, and God can be as disappointed as you are. Look at Saul. Look at these stories. Also, I want to lift another burden off of you. Those of you that believe that God cannot work with you anymore, just like you may not have won the lottery, look what he can do with a stick. Look what he can do with two mites. Look what he can do with a jar of bath water at a wedding. Look what he can do. Freud got almost everything wrong, and I'll do this as we close. Seriously, if you take a look uh, at his research and such, this is well known, by the way, this is not controversial. He faked almost all of his data, and almost everything he said is wrong. Don't quote Freud. He, he needed a therapist. But one thing he did correct was that what happens to you is not as important as what you do with it. And he never really worked with that. He never expanded it. Other people did. To put it in human terms, I guess, it doesn't really matter what your genetics are. It's what you do with them. It doesn't really matter what cards you're dealt. It's how you play them. It's what are you going to do with what you've got. God's question to us is still as valid as it was to Moses when Moses was telling him all the reasons why he couldn't do what God wanted him to do. God, you know, I'm a stutterer. I can't really talk well. I'm old. This, and I don't know your name. I don't know enough. All this other. God's question was, what is in your hand? What do you have? I can remember many times where my non-peopleness made it very difficult to know what to do to reach anybody in my community. And in Detroit, what I would end up doing is go to a guitar shop, whether it was Detroit Guitar or whether it was a guitar center or wherever it was, Limelight Music, and I'd pull a guitar off of the, the rack and sit and play. Eventually, somebody will stop. And we can start talking. They'll say, show me how to do that. And I show them a chord, and they show me a chord. Next thing you know, we've got a community going. And I can talk to them. You know, they'll say, who are you? And then we can start talking about who I am, what I do, why I do it. We got to where every Monday night in my house for years, anybody who wanted to learn guitar just showed up from 7 to 9. And that was my outreach. Why? Because I don't want to knock on doors. I really don't. I've knocked on thousands of doors. I've never yet hoped anybody was home. Ever. You'd be on a campaign in some country and they're saying, knock on the door and hand them the literature and talk to them. And I'm always, I'm rubbing the door. <laughs> I've got to tell a story of myself. I was probably, I don't know, 14, 15. My dad said, you take that side of the street, I'll take this side. And I'm going, all right, fair enough. And uh I'm going, and we're knocking on the door, and then you shove the literature through the slot. We have mail slots there. You know, you don't have a mailbox, you have a slot in the door. Uh, and, you know, I'm rubbing the door. You know, nobody's home, I hope, I hope, hope. 
And I was putting the slots, mail through, and, this, and the, the lady opened the door. I'm down like this. I just froze. She said, can I help you? I said, oh, I, if you could just shut the door. <laughs> if God can use me, he can use anybody. Red and yellow, black and white. Let's talk next week. Go away.